Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Speaking of Green. I am your hostess, Beth Bond, curator of sustainable news at Southeast Green. And today I have a, a what I consider a good sustainability friend. We've been working in the sustainability community here in Atlanta together for, oh, I don't know, three or four years now. Uh, and just honored to have Mark Calloway with us. Mark Calloway has managed an SRI ESG impact investing uh, strategy with Morgan Stanley, Stanley Portfolio Management Platform since 2000. And over the past decade, he has seen the growth of impact investing in other areas of the world and not, now finally in mainstream America. Mark was recognized by Smith Bar- Barney prior to the merger as a green financial advisory professional. The more involved he became in SRI ESG, the more interested he became in the actions of corporations headquartered in his own backyard. So in 2009, he co-founded the Southeast Corporate Sustainability Ranking. It ranks publicly traded companies according to standardized environmental, social, and governance scores. Recently, Mark was asked to serve on the Morgan Stanley Advisory Board to champion the investment with an impact platform at Morgan Stanley. Mark holds the position as Senior Vice President of Wealth Management at Morgan Stanley. In addition, he is a Senior Investment Management Consultant, Senior Portfolio Manager, and Financial Planning Specialist. And I will just add that he's also a really great friend to the environment and brought the Telluride Mountain Film on tour ATL program, and we just finished and wrapped up a third year with that. Welcome, Mark. Thank you. That uh, the Telluride Mountain Film is becoming a mouthful now. It used to be much easier to kind of get out of your mouth. <laughs> Especially this early in the morning. This is early in the morning for me to be thinking. So exactly right. Before the second the second espresso has kicked in or whatever. So yeah. exactly, exactly. Well, one of the reasons we have you on the show today is because. Uh, there was a report that was just released about water in Atlanta, but you and I both agree that this is a much broader conversation. So um, we're gonna we're gonna dive deep this morning, I guess pun intended. But let's start off with the report that was l- released on Monday. Okay, so the report that you're referring to is one that Morgan Stanley had put together, um, and it focuses on. Uh, high net worth individuals um, in the Atlanta area. And high net worth really in this case is anybody who's indicated that they have more than $100,000 to invest. Um, And there are a number of different questions that were uh, asked of the various uh, individuals that were in the uh, report. Um, but the one, the, I think the area you and I were going to at least start off with was the was the water area and the effect uh, that water shortage, both here in the southeast and across the United States, and then on the global perspective, has had. And I, I think one of the interesting things is that from the report that we produced, uh, only about seven out of 10 investors say they know only a little a bit about the water shortage in certain regions of the U.S. today. And I, I think, unfortunately, the water issue tends to be one of those, uh, you know, in my, in my backyard issues. Um, if Lake Lanier is at a low water pool or if the Chattahoochee River is not flowing uh, at adequate levels, or if all of a sudden you're put on restriction as to how many times a month you can wash your car or water your lawn, then 
people become uh, aware of it. But I think once you kind of move out of your geographic region, um, it takes uh, you don't pay as much attention to it, and you have situations. Certainly, we could use Texas as an example where they've had several years of uh, drought, and it it really is affecting uh, it's affecting the livestock. I believe they've lost about two million uh, cows at this point due to the drought, uh, and there are other areas clearly that it's affecting from the agricultural area. So, you know, it is it is make it is having a huge effect, and I think that there are a number of experts out there that would indicate that water is going to be one of those um, crucial commodities that the regions that have issues with it are going to have to look to the regions that maybe have don't have as many issues, but that potentially if you believe that we're in a climate change um, period, that more and more regions are going to have, have have to deal with this. Well, and isn't it a, isn't it a little bit ironic because not only are places like California and Texas and basically the entire you know western side of the country, uh, climatologists that I have heard speak say it's going to get drier and drier and drier, and yet we're having sea level rise around all the coast because. Of it's, it just feels like it's like we we don't we either don't have enough water or we have too much of the wrong kind of water. Mm-hmm. Well, of course, you've the sea, the sea level uh, rise issue is can be attributed to the melting uh, of ice. Uh, I think that's what most of the um, experts that I read about would suggest that that's where that's coming from and. As that increases, you have these issues um, when we have these large storms that. Uh, now affect uh, a greater area, has, have, maybe has a greater reach in inland or at least moving into the coast that we didn't have to deal with before. And I think is that if, in fact, the water level continues to rise, I've seen a number of maps and a number of studies where uh, you look at some of the most recent hurricanes or some of the, you know, you look at New Orleans or you look at uh, Sandy, you look at some of these um, areas that have recently had exposure to hurricanes and, and increased water, the floodplain, if you will, ha- is going to increase dramatically. And the houses that would have been affected if we have another six inches uh, in water rise, another foot, would be a much larger, would have a much larger footprint. So I think that's happening. You also have um, this year we have El Nino, um, which uh, there are several studies out there that would indicate that um, about every 20 years that cycle, that warm water cycle in the Pacific, um, is in, intensifies, um, and that that this is going to be one of those years. So the latter part of 2015 going into 2016. Um, are going to potentially, we're going to have an even bigger effect from the regular El Nino uh, climate uh, issue. So, and that's going to, that potentially is going to bring, at least the last map I looked at, could potentially bring more rain to the East Coast um, than we've had, but it is going to be potentially drier uh, on the on the West Coast. Um, so, all of, the, you know, all of these things interplay. Um, and I think it's, I think the water, and, and then you and I were talking briefly before we started the interview, 
on on a much more global perspective uh, of what's happening in the East, what you see happening in Syria, you have see what's happening in Yemen and other areas. Well, clearly there is a political issue there. A lot of the political issue has been created by the ongoing drought uh, and the fact that the government is uh, unable to to deal with that, and the citizens uh, have to move, have to get out. And, and granted, there there is a lot of political unrest, but some of the, that political unrest is really attributable to uh, the issues in the water area. So, and and so you see this huge migration, this this very large population, this migration that's moving up and through Europe. And of course, it seems like every hour on the hour, CNN updates. Uh, what's going on, and these countries are not um, prepared to take in these millions and millions of people that um, into their various countries. And I, there was on CNBC last night, I think there was kind of this road, uh, or at least they overlaid this road of how uh, this migration potentially is going to move from where they are uh, on through these various countries. And I, I think you're also going to have an effect on the United States. I think eventually a number of these individuals and families are going to find their way to the United States. And I think the bottom line is nobody's really prepared for this migration, and this migration is being uh, in part uh, caused by uh, water issues. Well, and I, I, knowing what I know, this is only the first of the migrations that's going to happen because of water issues. So um, we are we are facing global uh, migration issues pretty much daily. Um, you know, either from sea level rise or from rising rivers, as as the the planet continues to heat up. Now, let's let's tie this all into how does this affect your strategy when you're talking about wealth management? Because I don't think a lot of people understand that water is completely connected to a lot of industries that people would think are unconnected, and that also affects, you know, stock prices and things like that. Well, of course, you can go to the most basic, which is, you know, water is used heavily um, in the microchip um, uh, manufacturing process. Uh, the, the, the cleanliness uh, of, the, of the water that is used uh, in that process is highly regulated, um, and so you can look at that from a manufacturing process and, and the plants that are required and the ability to clean uh, that water. You also can look at maybe something that's a little bit closer to home where you have uh, issues with, uh, with uh, clean water, uh, clean water being drinkable water, versus salt water and the fact that you have this this migration in of the salt water uh, into this, these freshwater areas, which kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier, which is if, in fact, you end up with these uh, continuation of these storms that tend to affect areas that have been unaffected in the past and are uh, agricultural areas that cannot um, tolerate uh, any type of Salt, certainly high high levels of salt, and if if in fact you have these areas that are um, affected from storms, you're wiping out potentially a large area of uh, agricultural uh, area, and and that 
that stays kind of uh, uninhabitable, if you will, from a, from a agriculture, from a plant standpoint, for, for a number of years. It takes a really long time to get salt out of the um, out of the system, out of the ecosystem. Um, so you have those effects that are going on. You have the the inability. Um, if we look at what's happening overseas, we look at what's happening in Asia right now, the inability to have clean water. So clearly, uh, companies that are designing ways uh, to either take um, almost, almost sewage-like uh, treatment uh, and turning that into fresh water that is, that is drinkable, uh, those, organiz those companies, I think, will have an opportunity to develop in certain areas. Uh, when you look at what's happening in Africa, clearly they don't have a lot of water, and there are um, a number of companies that are approaching that, trying to approach that, and trying to figure out one how you, you know, how you develop the systems for imp for bringing in clean water, how you set up plants that can continuously create uh, new water, drinkable water, and also for irrigation. So you you have a number of different areas that are. Um, I think interesting areas going forward, and if you really do have, if you do buy into this climate change and you look at those areas that are going to be affected the most, then I think those countries, let's just pick on Australia because it's been having a, a drought um, kind of continuously in some regions uh, for almost 20 years now, there's going to be this ongoing situation where you don't have enough water in certain areas. Uh, and, and there are a number of companies that are trying to figure out how, how, in fact, you get that water, you deliver it, you make it available. And so it's kind of this broad, you know, like I say, it's this broad area, whether you're talking about the, manu the use of water in manufacturing from, uh, from the high-tech side, from the, from the uh, chip side, or whether you're talking about just trying to get clean water to the animals and the agriculture in certain areas that either don't have it or that potentially are going to be contaminated by the uh, by the influx of the salt water into these areas that haven't had it. So that's what we, I mean, we take a very broad uh, approach and a look. And so there are different um, companies that are specific in certain areas. And then there are investments that one can make in, in a much broader perspective of since there are some water mutual funds out there, there are some water uh, exchange traded funds. These are these are these are uh, companies or these are uh, funds that will buy um, a number of different companies, but they're all focused on um, on water in kind of this broad perspective. Well, and I think that other people that that there are companies that you wouldn't. So Cox comes to mind because I've been out to their Mannheim. Uh, facility where they do all the car auctions and they're actually recycling their water. They have built their own plant on site where they're recycling their own water and cleaning it through their plant by the time they get done with it and put it back out in the hooch is cleaner than when they pull it in from the hooch. So those are some of the some of those hidden stories I think that can also help you make decisions if if water is the way you want to go or if that's one of one of the places that you want if you want to spread your money out against sort of what I would call sustainability silos there's plenty of companies to reward just from the way they're managing their water usage yeah there's there's you know there's large companies you've got companies like a, say a general electric 
that has a huge commitment to the water uh, space, the water industry, uh, and then you can go to to fairly small companies. There are certainly some startups that I've run into in in and around Atlanta um, that I would say are more of a venture capital um, side, but they're looking at ways to uh, create energy from from water in the Chattahoochee, uh, where they're putting. Uh, you know, a, a fan-like or a wind uh, tunnel-looking um, device into the Chattahoochee, and as the current uh, runs through this uh, particular device in the spinning blade, the spinning blade creates the energy, which is very similar to what you would see in, say, a large dam. Um, but this is a very, this is a, a much smaller. It's almost. Uh, I wouldn't say handheld, but certainly it would be um, maybe uh, six feet by four feet. So it's easy, you can easily put it in in different spots in a river. You can pick uh, different areas. Um, low, it's very low impact, but it also generates uh, it also generates energy uh, electricity from from that. So I, you know, I think there's all sorts of different ways that you can view water, whether you're really talking about cleaning the water, processing the water, using the water for energy uh, creation. And, and I think all of that is going to continue to pick up steam because I think we are finally at a point where we recognize that we have to have this, this div the diverse grid where we generate um, where we generate this this energy or this electricity, and so instead of being the traditional sense of where it has to be all coal-fired or it has to be all nuclear or it has to be one source of generation, I think there are a number of uh, individuals that now agree that at the end of the day, <laughs> and I hate to use that term, but it, it, it the it, when we finally get to this integrated position. Um, you know, you're going to have a grid that's going to use wind, and it's going to use water, and it's going to use solar. And yeah, it's probably going to it's going to take us a little while to get off the coal grid, and it's going to take us a while to get off the nuclear grid. But if you combine all of that together, you have a, a much more diverse grid, one that I think you can utilize. So wind may be, you know, if there happens to be a, a good breeze, or if you happen to be in Kansas. Uh, where they're building in Oklahoma, where they they're building these large wind farms, you know maybe what happens is Georgia actually ends up getting to benefit from a wind farm out in Oklahoma, uh, and they maybe get to benefit when it's uh, stormy there uh, and it's clear here, and we're using solar. Uh, they get to benefit off the solar use here, uh, and then we all get to use uh, the energy that's generated from the Chattahoochee. So I think as this grid builds out you're going to find that there are going to be a number of different resources, uh, which will all lead, hopefully, uh, to a lower cost of energy production and a much cleaner uh, and a much cleaner energy production platform. Well, I certainly think I mean, it's you know it's always easy to talk about what's happening in your own backyard, but when we started Southeast Green in 2007, we got smog alerts almost every single day, and I think and I don't think that Atlanta's problems are over. But I do think that in the last seven years, that if if you think about how many smog alerts we have now compared to what we had, 
just seven years ago, you know, they've had a couple coal plants shut down. There's, you know, we're the largest EV, EV market in the country. You know, our public transportation um, and many cities now um, are using some type of natural gas to, to power vehicles that, you know, Atlanta, you know, EPA is not going to give us a war for clean air, but if we stop and think about it, it really is starting to happen. We, we can see it tangibly happen. So, um, and I think it's important to reward companies who are working towards those goals. Absolutely. When you think back, and you and I have been here long enough in Atlanta to even just go back 20 years, uh, and you think about the fact that Atlanta was was much more in the mode of sprawling uh, and moving from interior to exterior and moving outside of 285 and um, you know these 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 large areas that we're building up and now if you look at Atlanta now as you uh, already indicated we're uh, one of the largest markets for um, electrical vehicles um, I think the Leaf uh, is probably one of the largest has been one of the largest sellers in Atlanta. Uh, out of the rest of the states, um, you look at the number of um, charging stations that we have. You can drive into Phipps and Linux and have a place to charge up your car if you're driving an electric vehicle. And a lot of a lot of these areas now have solar panels that are sitting on the roof. If you go downtown, as you know, um, you can find parking lots now that are covered with uh, solar panels. Um, so, and you have people that are coming back in. You look at the apartments and the condominiums that are being built e- either close to or um, almost right on some of the MARTA stops now. Um, that is increasing dramatically. Uh, you have the, the bike lanes. You have, I mean, it's, um, you know, Atlanta should be re- really proud of the changes that they've made because I think 20 years ago, um, it was pretty grim. Uh, you You know, you had areas that were kind of confined because of their geographic space, so like San Francisco and New York where you had, you know, the urbanization was there, people couldn't spread out, they had to live in certain places, and they were used to walking and riding their bikes and all the rest of that. But I think um, you can certainly see that, and, and hopefully going forward, Atlanta and maybe the state of Georgia will take some cues off some of the European countries. Um, I know when I was in the Netherlands last year, uh, one of the families that we were with uh, had a plug-in hybrid, and he was explaining to me that if he had purchased a regular gasoline-driven automobile, um, that every year in the Netherlands you pay a tax that equates to 25% of the original cost of the automobile, and that doesn't depreciate. It doesn't go down in value. So... You know, if you spent $10,000 on an automobile, which I'm not sure that's easy to do for a new one any longer, right. but if you did, then every year you would be paying $2,500 uh, to keep that car and to, to license it and pay the taxes on it and all the rest of that. And if he bought a plug-in hybrid, which is what he did, then that was then it's an 8% uh, cost uh, or tax per year. Um, he buys a new bicycle as you know, uh, in, in Amsterdam and the Netherlands, they like to ride their bikes. Um, and every three years, he is he can go out and buy a brand new bike, uh, and that's allowed. He's allowed to deduct that uh, off of his tax return. So there are a lot of ways that we can continue to encourage this um, this sustainable lifestyle and to decrease consumption and to just think about 
different options, and I and I think uh, tax incentives are um, an extremely positive way to do that uh, to help to help change the behavior of individuals. Um, I know here in Georgia, as you as you indicated, we have the EV, and the we have not only the federal. Uh, tax credit of $7,500, but up until June, the end of June, we had the $5,000 tax credit that was changed, unfortunately, in legislature this last um, go-around, and I'm hoping that um, we'll have some leadership at the, how, at, at the Capitol that will um, bring this back up and, and reinstitute it so we'll have that $5,000 credit again, because I think it makes sense, and Atlanta and Georgia were making such headways, it's a, it's a shame for us to lose that particular tax credit. Well, and <laughs> I was, didn't mean to bring, but I did write sort of my um, my uh, what do they call it? eulogy for the tax credit. <laughs> so if anybody wants to read my eulogy for the tax credit, it's on uh, Beth Meanderings on Southeast Green. And um, I really believe that this investing in your values is critically important. And so last night I actually posted an article, a revamped article on LinkedIn about investing with your values and. And, and Mark, you're the guy to come to, right? So, let's. Uh, I, I want I want two pieces of information before we wrap up. One is, um, of course, I want you to give out your contact information. But if people want to get the report, where can they go to get the report? You know, it was just released at nine o'clock this morning. Hold on. And uh, it was as they use in your in your industry. It was called embargoed <laughs> until nine o'clock, right. and it's only ten o'clock now. Um, so you know what? Um, I know I'm looking at the headlines, and I, I'm assuming Beth, and you may have a copy of this, that it's that it will go out into say the AJC and some area, other areas. Um, but I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll um, I'll find out and I'll send you an email, and then you can post that on your website because um, I actually don't know where it's going at this point. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. We'll, we'll definitely get it up on the site. And um, let's give people contact information. Sure. Well, um, the easiest way to contact me is uh, at, at my email, which is mark.c.callaway, which is C-A-L-L-A-W-A-Y, at ms.com. And then my direct dial to our practice is 800-421-2741. And those are the, those are the easiest ways to get in touch with me. Great. Mark, thank you so much. I've really enjoyed our time together. It's always great talking with you, Beth. Great, and we'll see you around soon. Yeah, I'll be around. See you. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. Okay, so I do encourage everyone to go and uh, check out that article on LinkedIn um, that I posted last night because I think it lays out sort of the groundwork about how you need strategies. And the thing that I love about Mark, and Mark is certainly not the only person. There there's several people in um, Atlanta who are really sunk deep into this conversation. But if, if your portfolio does not reflect your lifestyle, then what message are you really sending? And the great thing is is there's plenty of very good uh, options now in sustainability investing where they're actually outperforming some of the more traditional um, 401Ks. So I really encourage you to please, please invest where your values are. Um, invest in bicycle companies and EV companies and 
companies that are, are saving water and companies that are uh, supporting renewable energy and companies that are not killing the planet with toxins from pesticides. <clears throat> so anyway, thank you so much for um, listening today, and we appreciate it, and we'll see you next time on Speaking of Green. Don't forget, Southeast Green is available online 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We're closing out with Jeff Hicks and the Heretics Life's a Peach.